This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Right On, showcasing the work and lives of Otago and Southland writers. Tune in for news and interviews with your local writers on the second Wednesday of every month from noon to one and repeated the following Sunday at 11am. The University Bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Good afternoon, Kiora Koto, and welcome. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and right on with Vanda Simon. The show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors, Tepuni Kaituhi o Aotearoa, and sponsored by the great team at the University Bookshop. Grab your lunch and a cuppa and listen in for the next hour as we delve into that wonderful world of books. Ronan Wiley Gibb is the book buyer at the University Bookshop and a regular on the show. Um, because she is a book lover extraordinaire and passionate about reading. And we love to have catch-ups and chats about what we've been um, reading recently. So, Bronwyn, welcome back to the show. Hi, Vanda. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Now, the exciting thing about um, that's happening at the University Bookshop, of course, is you have now moved back into your new yes. old premises. We've Tell us about home. that. We've moved home. It was um, it was quite a thing. We we Closed on the um, Thursday night across at the at our little nest across at the um, HD Skinner Annex, and um, books got put into boxes. Um, it's faster to take books off um, shelves and put them into boxes than it is to put them out of boxes onto shelves because you don't have to worry about um, the um, the order of them. Um, and then we were able, with lots of hard work and lots of help from people like Leith Joinery, who were putting together our shelving again and things, um, we opened up here uh, about a week and a half ago on Wednesday. And so, yeah, it's amazing. And we're, people are coming in and enjoying the new space and finding it interesting. And, yeah, it's, it's a lovely open space. Yeah. Mm. That's fantastic mm. inside. And, and don't be put off people from the outside, which has still got mm. scaffolding and other things happening yes. within that whole building renovation. But the, the bookshop is truly alive and kicking on the inside. Yeah, and um, the the we're, we're shrouded in um, in tarpaulin and, and um, scaffolding because they're still working on the top floor, which is um, they've been turning it into um, apartments. So it's got nothing to do with the bookshop as such. So the bookshop is open and um, we have um, one of the exciting things about when you first, when the, the bookshop entrance has moved back to where it originally was on the building, which is in the middle of the, of the shop. Um, and we've been able to, not only are the steps up, but there is a lift so that if you are a wheelchair user or you have a pram or you have difficulties with steps you can just get onto the lift and it will just take you up about a meter and then you can just walk or wheel straight into the store so that's makes it much more accessible than it was before that's fantastic um yes i have been there already and no doubt i shall be there again later in the week so let's get to talking about books then um what have you been reading at the moment well i have i've just finished reading the new maggie o'farrell she wrote um 
um, Hamnet, which people have just adored. And this new one is called The Marriage Portrait. And it's set in 1561 in Italy. And it's about Lucrezia, who was the third daughter of um, one of the Medicis um, in, in Florence. And her sister was engaged to the Duke of Ferrara. This is true. So she, this really happened. Her sister was engaged to the Duke of Ferrara. The sister died um, at the age of 12. Um, Lucrezia was, was married to the Duke of Ferrara, but she didn't join him until she was about 16. And when she joined him, having been a, a person who didn't have well health, basically, for some time, she died within a year of going to join him in Ferrara. And immediately, um, rumours started swirling that, she had been, that he had killed her. And it's that story that is the... Um, the inspiration for Robert Browning's poem, My Last Duchess, mm. um, which is really famous about the man looking at the portrait um, and, and explaining how he, he killed her, but he's still got this lovely portrait to look at. It's a bit blueberry. Um, but, um, and this is Maggie Farrell's take on it, about done from the point of view of Lucretia, who, sudden, who goes to join the Duke and goes out for the weekend somewhere to a lodge and realises that actually she thinks he's going to kill her and what's she going to do about this? Mm. And it, it's, really, it's really well done. It's, it's very clever. Um, it's an amazing evocation of a spectacular time. You know, it's the flowering of the, of the Italian Renaissance. Um, there's amazing stuff going on. The, the descriptions of, of the clothes that they're wearing, the the rooms that they're in it, it, it's beautifully done and it, and it's and it's just a, just a good read um i i think people will enjoy it again in the same way yeah and it's that mixture of beauty and brutality that we know of because um her her whole role as the daughter of a of a noble house was she was going to be used for setting up alliances by with strategic marriage really um it's 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 sort of slightly sad but but um Farrell does a good job of of giving life to these people, and um, she fiddles a bit with with the official history, and I won't tell you what happens, but yeah, it's it, it, it works well. So, what was the title of that book again? It's called The Marriage Portrait because it's based around the idea that that the Duke was having a marriage portrait set up for her, and um, there isn't there isn't an actual marriage portrait that exists, but there is an actual portrait of Lucrezia. And so if you if you Google um, Lucrezia de' Medici, you can have a look and see and see the, what she looked like. And mm. she doesn't look particularly happy, but, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, one of the books that I actually just finished last night um, that I absolutely loved is by Michael Robotham, who's an Australian mm. crime writer um, called Lying Beside You. Um, oh, yes. Yes. So one of the reasons I was reading it, because, you know, I'm having the pleasure of interviewing um, yes. him and Val McDermott and JP Pomare uh, later on this week. Uh, and that was just an absolutely uh, captivating thriller written from the perspective of a, a man who... Um, was the only survivor of his family being murdered by his brother. Oh. And so as, as part of the threads coming in is you know, having to accept that his brother is getting to the end of his incarceration, as it were, and is 
coming back into the to the family, um, but also from the perspective of of Evie, another a young woman that um, it's kind of like his ward that mm-hmm. he uh, keeps an eye on, and um, and it's sort of yeah, all ties, and and she, she has this amazing ability to tell if people are lying, uh, and so. It brings in um, the elements of the, this crime that is underlying um, and, and that they must solve. But it was one of those books where I was returning from a work trip and I was reading it and I really, really, really wished that the pilot would just do another lapse, perhaps with the, the half, <laughs> the South, half of the South Island so I could, I could get this book finished because it was just, just one of those absolutely captivating ones with really interesting voices. Yes. That, yeah, just wanted to keep keep reading keep reading keep reading so that, that i think that event is that this this the event on sunday at four o'clock at the public mm. library mm. yeah i think that event sounds like it's really worth going to and and i i'm interested in reading this book that you've particularly talked about because i i haven't read much of peter robertson so i'm interested in sorry michael michael robertson, yeah. and, and i haven't uh, i'm interested in in that um and one of the other pieces of fiction i read was something called the late comer by jean hamp Corolitz. And it's it's really good. It's 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 American, and I'd never read anything by her before. And it's about these um, triplets who um, have been reared with every advantage, and they're just about to depart for college, and they've never got on well, particularly with either parent. And then what happens is, them their parents have another child. And so there's a fourth, a fourth, a fourth sibling, and it's it's told, it's 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 cleverly constructed because the different the different triplets are, are talking about various things, and then there's this other voice that you soon realise is the child, is this fourth child, um, and it's just just a clever family story um, about about the changes that happen in the family with. Um, another child coming along, and um, I, I, it, it just worked really well. I would recommend it. Um, and there's a there's a slight um, unusualness to it. Um, I don't want to say too much, but it's called the late comer, and it, and, and I thought it was excellent, um, witty and clever. Mm. <laughs> But that that was that was interesting. And then the other one, which I thought I should tell you about, because I think you and our friends out in listening land would find it fascinating. It's a book called "How Words Get Good: The Story of Making a Book" by Rebecca Lee, and it's a gorgeous little hardcover. And it starts off: Once upon a time, a writer had an idea. They wrote it down, but what happens next? And then you, Rebecca Lee, who's a professional text improver, so I guess she's an editor. Um, she reveals the dark arts of ghostwriters, explores the lit- secret world of literary agents and uncovers the hidden beauty of typesetting. And she investigates things like um, ellipses, indexes, hyphens, esoteric points of grammar and juicy post-publication corrections. Um, <laughs> and I, I, just, I just think anybody who's interested in publishing, writing books, um, is going to love it, and I, I I love a fiction or a non-fiction book where there's decent footnotes and it's got good footnotes. Mm. So um, yeah, I think I think that will be a charmer for um, 
all of those of us who are interested in, in words and books and putting it all together. And that sounds that sounds right down my alley because you know, know how I'm, I'm, I'm telling you because I'll show you I'll show you later when you come in because you I know I'm going you, to buy it. Yeah, you do need to have it because yeah. you're a temptress. And it, and is it, um, you know some people who write these nonfiction books, particularly things that are footnoted, um, does she have that gift of making it you know lyrical yes. and a really good? tale that she's yeah, weaving just, through it just, just just really interesting and and like in that way that sometimes people can write um things and it doesn't almost it almost doesn't matter what they're writing about they're just really good and they make it really interesting and you just fascinate it mm. um yeah she, she she does that um and i think um she's an editorial manager at penguin press so she just she knows her stuff yeah yeah yeah, because because the person, well, as you know, uh, what you write and, and hand over is not necessarily what ends up between the pages mm. or in the pages of the book, um, and it requires a bit of shepherding and trimming and elucidating and yeah, fiddling with by the uh, by the editors. Yes, by pe- people who don't have a. a, a a ridiculously overly emotional attachment to your work yes. and can see yes. things with clarity. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But you don't need that comma there, Vanda. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. I spent 15 minutes deciding if that comma was going to go there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what else have you been reading? Well, in the nonfiction department too, because I am, um, you know, a woman in my, my 50s now, I have been, or have recently finished um Nikki Pellegrino's Don't Sweat It. Yes. <laughs> which is um a, a book about menopause and making yeah. a change. Um Nikki Pellegrino has quite a background in journalism and is a regular feature writer for things like The Listener and um mm. you know, a, a health mm. journalist. And so she has and also in the same vintage as I am. So she has written this book um about menopause from multi multi-facets you know to actually mm. talking about you know the perimenopause and things that happen in the lead up to what we think of menopause and the all the sorts of different changes it has the physical the mental the emotional everything like that and she does it with a really again it's just a really warm and en- engaging style so um it's been informative and entertaining <laughs> oh wonderful I, I i saw that in the shop and and it's been really popular i think I think it's nice to have it written by somebody who lives in New Zealand and mm-hmm. knows what is available here in the shops and and um, is, is generally available for people to to use and and um, can get. So I, th- yeah. I think that that's a, a useful a useful thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, talking about treatment options, ways you can help yourself, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, just some of the the. There's the, the stories, women's stories, because, you know, we're all quite yes. different in, in how um, we transition through this stage in life. And so it's yeah. great to have these personal stories and anecdotes through there so that we um, realise that, you know, we're not going insane. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to have when something's in a book like that and it's been published by a reputable publisher, the information has sort of been sort you don't have to go online and sort through all the bits of information and try and figure out what's true and what isn't yeah there's 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 been some sort of fact checking already and that I, I think that's a useful thing about how to books or 
or um, how to how to live certain ways books um, that's that's quite different from just looking things up on the internet and then you come across a whole lot of stuff and you're not quite sure what is r true and what is useful and what is helpful yeah. and what is absolutely not helpful so and great to have it open and you know conversations about menopause yes. but, you know it, yes. it happens to to, to yeah. half the population at some point <laughs> yeah. yeah and well I, I fiddle around on the internet a bit and um, I do like the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows site and they've turned it into an actual book now and this is the guy who makes up words to describe things that you might not have ever um, that you might not have ever thought that you needed anything for um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, Examples? Like, like, like buy over as in buy as in goodbye hyphen over buy over and which is it's a now uh, the sheepish casual vibe between two people who have shared an emotional farewell but then unexpectedly have a little extra time together wordlessly <laughs> agreeing to pretend that they've already moved on <laughs> um, and um, um, and then the um, Maunden the self-contained pyjama universe shared by two people in a long weekend morning, withdrawing from the world and letting the hours slow to a crawl, coming as close as they'll ever get to pushing the flow of time, even as they know it'll eventually rush back in all the faster. Um, it, it's, it's kind of um, the Zeno, the smallest measurable unit of human connection, typically exchanged between passing strangers, a warm smile, a sympathetic nod, a shared laugh about some odd coincidence. Moments that are fleeting and random but still contain powerful emotional nutrients that can alleviate the symptoms of feeling alone. And in that, I think of that particularly Aotearoa New Zealand thing of that, that, that upward nod that we, yep. give, that we give people. Yep. And um, today it's been really interesting um, having people coming into the bookshop and it's the first day of not wearing masks generally mm. and kind of we've forgotten how to we've, we've stopped smiling and people are doing big waves at each other and then remembering that actually we can see each other's faces and we can smile at each other and we don't have to do big exaggerated moves with our arms or wiggle our eyebrows frantically at each other to show that we are acknowledging each other we can see each other's um uh, faces and stuff. Yeah, so this book is called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows and it's by John Koenig and it's a, a cute little hardcover and perfect for all your friends who like strange words. Um, like um, like Vanda. <laughs> yeah, well the, this one, Gnosian, um, which is uh, looks a bit like Gnostic Gospels, Gnosian, G-N-O-S-S-I-E-N-N-E and it's the awareness that someone you've known for years still has a private and mysterious inner life. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very clever and um, quite appealing. And if you, if you like dictionaries, this is one for you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm kind of hoping what you're talking about with um, the mask wearing now that we will actually do both the smiles and the big gestures because you know yes. it's like jazz yes. hands. Yes, and I'm interested to see what it, what it might be like for sort of the babies and some of them toddlers now who've spent the last two or three years basically most adults around them anywhere public have got masks on mm. so that will be really interesting for them to sort of see see our faces yeah. yes yes and mm. are, are there any 
books coming up on the horizon that yes. um, you'd um, like to I've make just, a little pre-mention of? I've just read, um, an, I read an early copy of the new Jack Reacher, um, which I felt the last two or three, three he's been writing, it's been Lee Child writing with his brother An Andrew Child, um, and they haven't been my favourites ever. But I feel like this new one, which is called No Plan B, I felt like it was more back on track. Mm. And um, I felt that they had got a really good rhythm going. Yeah. Um, and but so that, that I thought that was quite exciting. And it was, it was, you know, it was what Jack Reacher does, you know, saves the day, sorts it all out. And there's several um, strange um, storylines and you don't quite know how they're going to come together. And um, then, then they sort of do, and so that's really interesting. Um, and then, then just to sort of, um, as a as a as a side serving to to Jack Reacher, I read the new Kate Atkinson, which is about to come out, which is mm. called um, oh, I've gone blank. Um, uh, I can't remember what it is. Um, it's but it's set in the um. 1920s in London in the nightclub scene, and it's it's I think it's is it shrine shrines of gaiety I think that's what it's called shrines of gaiety, and it's about a woman who is sort of um, she runs a nightclub and she has a a, a group of a family of children um, there doesn't seem to be a, a a partner male partner on the scene and she's just been released from prison and she's going back to run the nightclubs and so there's slight edges of um, organized crime starting to become a thing and but the nightclubs are spectacular and they are really shrines of gaiety um, mm. and there's that, that between the wars um, sort of um, slightly febrile excitement um, and over the top um, social life, yeah. Just, just I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was a, a really good read. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. Mm. Yes, I, I love Kate Atkinson's writing. So, yeah, good to know that yeah. there's another one coming out to to put on yes. the must read list. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. No, it was it was excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, um, thank you so much, Bronwyn, for coming in and chatting books. And also no give us a little update on um, the, the new shop with its lovely more open spaces. Oh, 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 oh. And you, you must all come to our party. Um, we're going to have a little one of our um, – We before we moved out, we, we used to have a couple of times a year a, a lovely sort of soiree, a lovely evening event at the shop. And we're doing that on the 21st to um, welcome everyone back into the new shop um, from 4.30 till 8 o'clock. There'll be um, refreshments and books and 15% off all full-priced things. And, um, yeah, we'll be really pleased to see everybody. So everybody's allowed to come along on the 20 Wednesday the 21st, next week. Fantastic. You know I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for talking, Bronwyn. It's always been all a right. pleasure. Bye. We're going to take a short music break and then I'll be back talking with Dunedin writer Paddy Richardson. Back soon.
University Bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Welcome back. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and Right On with Vanda Simon, which is the show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors, Tipuni Kaituhi o Aotearoa, and sponsored by the wonderful University Bookshop. Well, Paddy Richardson is a Dunedin author who's written two collections of short stories and seven novels. Um, her works have been finalists in the Naya Marsh Awards and the Dublin Literary Awards, and she's also been the recipient of a number of fellowships, including the Robert Burns Fellowship. Now, I've had the pleasure of chatting with her a number of times over the years on the Right On Radio Show as her books have come out. So, Paddy, welcome back to the show. Cura, Vanda. How <laughs> lovely to be here. Um, well, I'm going to start by asking you to read the uh, back cover blurb about By the Green of the Spring, which is your um, latest book to be coming out, just so our listeners can get a, a feel about um, what this book is about. So if you could read the blurb, that would be wonderful. Thank okay. you. Absolutely. Otto Bader, Pansy Williams and Clem Bright live in the small mining town of Blackball on the west coast, shaped by stories and the dreams of a better, more equal society to come. But the First World War erupts and Otto, being of German descent, is torn from his family and the love of his life Pansy to endure the war and turned as an enemy alien on Soames Island in Wellington Harbour. His suffering with the other internees, the culture of brutality and abuse of power by those in charge, is both chilling and truthful, and all the more poignant by taking place within sight of the capital city. Both his present and his future appear to be stolen from him. Pansy, pregnant, marries good, kind Clem, who then betrays his social pr- socialist principles by enlisting. Love, loss and abandonment haunt both Otto and Pansy with reverberations far into the future. Lena is their child, spirited, clever and perceptive. She tells her own story of growing up in the close-knit, bright family and the changes that occur when Clem returns from the war, damaged both physically and psychologically. 
Lena's journey to adulthood is beautifully portrayed as she observes the people who make up her family and develops into an educated and creative young woman. Blackpool is where she belongs and it is the place she recalls when she paints her memories. By the green of the spring is the gripping story of lives changed forever by war. The hurts suffered, the losses borne and the secrets kept. Yet it is also the story of the capacity of the human spirit to endure, to hope and to love. Thank you, Patty. Now, By the Green of the Spring is the sequel to Through the Lonesome Dark, where we first met um, these wonderful characters, Otto, Pansy and Clem. Had you always planned this story to cross um, across two books or even more than two books? Vanda, this was um, not what I had planned at all, actually. <laughs> but... Um, as you will know, uh, characters have a have a, a kind of habit of giving you a little prod, and these characters, I just found it very difficult to let them go. Um, I did start something else. In fact, I started a crime novel, but uh, my heart wasn't in it, and I thought, well, maybe I could have a look to see what possibly could have happened to Otto. So I started looking at, you know, the history of Soames Island and what happened to the internees in Soames Island and I thought there's a definite story there and I thought too, and I I really do believe, it's a story that should be told. See, I had no idea of that history of Soames Island and um, how... The people of German nationality or descent were imprisoned and interned. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about that? It was men and um, they many of them were just ordinary civilians of New Zealand. Um, they were suppo- they had to register as, um, as as enemy aliens when the war began. Um, some of them got rounded up for whatever reason and taken to Soames Island. So by the end of, towards the end of the war, there were over 200 people there. Some, though, were um, just German people, German men who happened to be um, travelling in New Zealand. For instance, there was um, a, a band, a, a um, a band of um, travelling musicians. There were sailors who um, happened to, you know, the ships happened to come into New Zealand and they were taken off the ships and and taken to Soames Island. So um, it was a little bit random, but um, yes, a lot of me, a lot of German men. Uh, were taken there and, and the, imprisoned. The other, and the other thing that sort of came apparent um, that you don't think about, which I thought you portrayed really well, was the fact that they took these men away to Soames Island, but their their families were left still in the in the in these towns, being yes um, despised. Well, there were <laughs> there were there were two things with that, uh, Vanda. There were the first thing is that they were reviled as Germans, so. Um, they were abused. Um, some some people, some 
families had had businesses. So people no longer went to the businesses, for instance, bakeries. Um, they would have um, graffiti. Um, they would be, you know, the houses could be ransacked, the businesses were ransacked. Um, I don't know if you realise this, but German pianos were smashed. Um, there was such a hysterical um, anti-German feeling. The other thing, though, was that most of these families were now left without, you know, the, the traditional breadwinners. Um, so they had to rely on whatever work the women could get in charity, which was very difficult. And um, the charitable organisations were very uncharitable to these women. And um, there were situations, you know, for instance, there was a woman who was pregnant with the couple's third child. Um, she was in a boarding house and she was without money and she there were you know she was actually put out homeless into the street with her her, her children so it, it was cruel and horrible yeah yes it shows, showed a very um ugly side of society at that time yes it certainly did mm. yes so that was um you know i found quite um harrowing otto's mm. experiences on soames island so I'm always curious about how people research these things. You know, what sort of information did you find from t- detainees who had been on, on on the island? Well, I was really fortunate when I um, when I was writing the book because I got the Randall Cottage residencies in in Wellington, um, so I was able to go to the Alexander Turnbull Library, um, and there was quite a lot of information. Um, I found um, there are about two or three books that have written about, been written about Soames Island, but it's actually, there's not a lot that's been written, but what I did find um, was, it was very surprising to me, and and quite stunning in the the cruelty that was dished out to these these men who were actually good civilians, uh, good people who had lived in New Zealand. Um, up until the war, the German immigrants had always been seen as as really good, hardworking people. But there was that sudden um, change of attitude. Mm. The story in, in in the previous book, um, Through the Lonesome Dark are set around the, the, the small New Zealand town of uh, Blackpool. Mm. So what was the connection with you to Blackpool? Why that town? Um, well, I, I was... In my original book, I was... I wanted to tell the story of a miner who went to um, work on the Aras tunnels um, with the tunnelling company during the First World War and I I just had to think about a town which was likely to be that, you know, to be that and I loved the West Coast so and I've always found Blackball was quite an interesting town historically so I decided on Blackball and for that first novel I went over to Blackball and... Um, and stayed in a um, and hired a, a little house for two or three weeks, 
and stayed there and walked around and um, looked at the history and um, and kind of fell in love with the place. I I, I love Black Black Ball. Yes, <laughs> you're not one of these people writers who's tempted to go and live there. Um, <laughs> not quite, but it it pulls me back. I go back and visit quite frequently. Mm. <laughs> and I suppose too, a small town would just be the perfect background to to hold the weight of this the story and the relationships that people build and the history that they have with their families. And yes, um, yes, absolutely. It's, it's very much an insular town and it seemed to be a good place for my three main characters. Um, and the fact, you know, one's a girl and she, ha- she will grow up with a different experience and the other two bo- are boys, but one's the son of a miner and one's the son of um, a mining. Um, well, one of the officials, really, the mm. managers. So they, they at first, they're really close, but then their situations and backgrounds pull them apart to a certain extent. Yes, and, and we see those two perspectives with um, no, Otto, who is detained as, as a German in New Zealand, and then um, Clem and, and going to war mm. and mm. the how men returned. Mm. Oh, mm. yes, yes. Mm. Well, of course... Clem comes back um, damaged. Um, he's he's physically damaged um, and mentally um, damaged as well. Uh, he's sort of suffering from what they used to call shell shock, and um, and he has to heal and also get get used to the idea of um, having a family, being back in New Zealand, and also um, getting to know. Lena, who he's he's never met and never known. Mm. Now Lena is 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 fascinating in that um, no, she is the daughter of um, well Pansy and Otto, but you've given her you know, she's young. You've mm. given her this young voice. You know why, from her perspective, at that age. I. Th- well, first of all, I fell in love with Lena because she is bright and um, interesting and I thought, I decided it would be interesting to see Pansy, her mother, and and Clem, the, the man that she thinks is her father, from her perspective and to show the family connections and the relationships from her perspective. You know, from a child's perspective, she doesn't quite get it, but she tells us and we get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how did, and how did you channel a child's voice? Oh, just as you channel anyone's voice, I guess you just think a lot about it, and you walk and you swim, and the head, the voice comes into your head, and you write a little bit, and um, it seems right, and then you write a little bit, and it doesn't seem right. So yeah, it's it's just that process of writing that every every writer knows about. You know, you know when you have your voice right. Um, you know when you've got it wrong, but you just don't know quite what to do about it. It's mm. it's just that process of working through it. Yeah, but uh, Lena did come pretty quickly to me. Yes. Yeah, I, I love her voice. Just the, the, I the love rhythm her voice and everything too. too. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and her, she's a she's 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 um, fun. Mm. Now, 
you, as you said earlier, you had to do some research into Soames Island and things like that. So for you in general, having written contemporary in the present day novels and also now written um, ones that are really quite historic fiction, how, how has your experience been between working you know, in contemporary to historic? What have you enjoyed about delving I, in the I past? Found, I, find, um, I find the past really fascinating and especially when I find something that I, I didn't know about before and that um, moves me or interests me in some way and I think um, I'm always really interested in place and when I first started thinking about writing about Soames Island I, I went up to Wellington, went over there and walked around and I just thought yeah this is this is somewhere I really want to write about. So it's a lot about place but it's it's also a feeling, I don't know, it's, it's a, an atmosphere that you get into somehow of being in that past and in thinking about the people that could have lived there. Um, when I was um, researching at the Alexander Turnbull, I actually found that they had some writing from the men um, there in a in a folder, and that was an amazing thing, you know, to to take out these exercise books and look at the actual writing of these men from mm, over a hundred years ago, and and the the anguish and the pain that they were in the suffering. It was. Um, it was quite remarkable and very emotional. So it's interesting that you know something in doing your research for something historic that you found something so personal, mm. and that yeah. you could relate to and, and emotionally react with. Mm. Uh, yes, but I think that um, we, as writers, we always get very close to our characters, and I think that you you kind of you are there with them in their settings whether it's present or the past now the covers have very special significance for you um, oh, do you want to tell, yes. people, tell, tell our <laughs> listeners about the covers well my son is um, a very talented artist Simon Richardson and he first of all he he, um, he painted his, his daughter Miller and um, I have that painting on the first book, but this one I think is particularly beautiful. He he did a um, it's um, it's a drawing really in charcoal of Miller. It's very detailed, and um, he it's mine now. I've got it on my wall and I absolutely love it and I knew that I wanted it definitely on the um, on the cover. But it was quite strange. When I was writing um, Lena, I thought a lot about Miller and Lena, you know, looks like Miller. <laughs> well, Miller <laughs> looks like Lena. I thought about her eyes and her hair and um, how she is. So, yeah, so it is very special to me. And it's just perfect for the era. Yes, yes. it is. The, it the, is. The, the mood yes. it gets. Yeah. <laughs> yes. so, I even mentioned the coach and her, her, um, her other grandma, her Oma, um, made that coat for Miller, so she's wearing it in the in the picture so yeah 
<laughs> lovely. A little bit of sentimentality, but lovely. Yeah. Yes, we all need these little connections. Mm. So um, writing by the green of the spring overtook and made you push other work aside. May I ask uh, what kind of work you're working on at the present then? I am beginning, at the very beginning stage of writing a contemporary crime novel and I'm actually going back to um, Rebecca Thorne. So Mm. yes, I will see how that goes. I have thought though, um, and I'm still thinking a lot, about maybe a final book in this in this um, and make it a trilogy but we'll see where that leads me we'll see what the characters tell you and demand yes, of you yes. <laughs> well Patty, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, talking today about by the green of the spring and um, I do believe you will have a book launch coming yes. up at some stage um, soon at the new UBS building, which is going to be just wonderful. 5.30 um, on Wednesday, the 5th of October, and everyone is very, very welcome. (laughs) Thank you. That is our show for this month, so thank you for listening in, and thank you to my guests today, Bronwyn Wiley-Gibb from the University Bookshop and Paddy Richardson talking about her latest novel, By the Green of the Spring. Join us again next month for another wonderful hour of delving into that great world of books but until then enjoy lots of great reading the university bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly picture perfect just smell those books and breathe atmosphere with its staff who entice me with oh look have you read this or have you seen that and we know you need this with its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at new zealand new releases table and worst of all worst of all with the irresistible treasures in book lovers corner The University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.